Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to this sermon from Hope Church here in Las Vegas, Nevada. I pray that the preaching and teaching of this ministry has built your faith in Christ, inspired you to abide in Him, and equipped you as a Jesus follower, no matter where you're tuning in from. If you would say that you have benefited from the ministry here at Hope, we would love to invite you to partner with us by joining in our year-end offering called This Is Hope. Our goal is to raise $250,000 that will go towards meeting specific needs in Las Vegas, the West, and the world. So if you've enjoyed the blessings of this video or podcast resource, would you prayerfully consider making a gift to our This Is Hope offering? If it's on your heart to do so and the Spirit is leading you, you can go to hopechurchlv.com give for all the details about the specific needs we are seeking to meet through this offering. And thank you in advance for your generosity. Now let's jump into our December sermon series, The King Has Come. Amen. Well, good morning, Hope Church family. If you couldn't tell, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Some Christmas fans in the house today. I love Christmas. I'm like unashamed about loving all the things about Christmas. Uh, just to give you a little example of that, my family and I, we've already decorated our house. We put all the Christmas decorations up inside the tree. The, me and my boys put the, the, de- the, the lights on the outside of the house. And, and in my humble opinion, my house is the best looking one on the block. And uh, just to give you a little example of, of how passionate we are about Christmas, we actually did all of what I just said on November the 12th. <laughs> Judge away, people, I don't even care. Some people think, you know, as soon as Thanksgiving's over, you can start celebrating Christmas. No way. Christmas celebration starts as soon as you take your costume off on October 31st, okay? Two months of Christmas. That's how I feel. I don't know how you feel. I I love it. My family, we get really into it. I love all the movies. I love, like, as as often as we can, we're watching Christmas movies. And again, in in my humble opinion, there's only one movie that tops the list of all-time greatest Christmas movies, and that is, of course... Home Alone, okay, come on, people. It's the best ever. I don't even know how many times I've seen it. I heard some Die Hard, though. That's, that's debatable. Driving around, looking at the lights, the Christmas music. Some of you came here today going, it's too early to sing Christmas carols at church. It's not too early. I wish we'd start in November. That might be a little too far. The food, the cookies, the, all the parties, like it's just an amazing, amazing season. I love the Christmas season and all the joy that it brings. But at the same time, I, like you as a follower of Christ, am painfully aware of, of a massive lie that is just constantly being told in this season. It's kind of this cultural Christmas American lie, and it's, it's all over your TVs, it's all over your ads that are very targeted to you on social media, and it's, it's, it's this, it's get these things, purchase this item, give this gift, and if you just get this this year, you will have your needs met. You will fulfill some sort of deep desire in you. And we are bombarded constantly, even now, basically as soon as Thanksgiving comes around, we are bombarded 
by messages that tell us if you can just get certain things on December 25th, you can be fulfilled. And, and theoretically, I think we know this is a lie, but if you're like me, you can actually start to get tripped up and trapped in this lie. That, that because we decorate the house and we've lit the tree and we've decked the halls and we're doing some shopping, that, that, that we, we start to change. There's something on a heart level that starts to, to change, and that's the, that's the lie of the culture. And it's even, even more subtle. The, the Christmas trappings don't change us. The subtle lie is they actually fix us. They'll, they'll actually do some work in our hearts that they could never actually do. The, the joy promised by our culture is, is temporary. It, it tries to speak to these, these longings in every single human heart. And for me, just very transparently, like over the last couple weeks, I've just been burdened for my own life, for my family, and for our church. Burdened that we would, would see this, this lie to, to have our longings fulfilled for what it really is. And it's, it's misplaced longing. What do I mean by that? It's, it's understanding that we do have longings. We do have desires. We do have a tension that we feel, but it will never be satisfied by temporary things. And I know some of us have heard that so many times and my burden is I've just been praying for myself and my family and our church that we would not just know something intellectually. Because a lot of times we know something intellectually, but practically we are all, including me, buying what's being sold, which is this Get these things and you will be whole. And it's a, it's a desire and a longing and a tension. It was never meant to be satisfied by things. What we're gonna study this month is that it was always meant to be satisfied by a king. Jesus Christ, the sovereign king of heaven. If you don't know, we've already sang it and prayed it and we're all about it. The, the message of Christmas is that this sovereign king made a megaphone bomb drop declaration when he came on Christmas to say the king has come. A couple people are excited about that. And I understand. Because even as I say that, depending on how long you've been a part of church, depending on how long you've heard the, the cheesy but true phrases that Jesus is the, the reason for the season, we have to fight the urge in us, the things that we've heard a million times to, to kind of roll our eyes and say, okay, is this really just gonna be one of those other Christmas messages? Like, come on, man, give me something new. I know Jesus is the reason for the season. Give me something new. And, and that's part of the burden that I feel for our church and for my life and for my family. If we're not careful, we, we actually start to look at the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to come and rescue us from sin and death and hell. And, and we actually just kind of put that amazing, glorious truth in one element of Christmas season trappings. So we got lights and carols and parties and presents and, and Jesus and and then, of course, his, his number one helper, Santa Claus, right? Like, this just all gets thrown into this junk drawer called the Christmas season. Many Christians, myself included, we have been lured away 
from marveling at this miracle called Christmas because it's become so familiar. Every year around this season, on December 1st, I start a new devotional that's just kind of speaking towards this Advent season, this Christmas season. And I started reading one I can't recommend highly enough. It's called Come Let Us Adore Him by Paul David Tripp. And I actually preached this message for the first time on Thursday. And Thursday morning, the message was done and, and I read what I'm about to read for you. And, and I said, I gotta, I gotta add that to the message. So I told the team, I, I gotta add a slide. And here is what I read on Thursday morning, December 1st, talking about this idea of familiarity. Maybe you can relate like it so struck me. Paul David Tripp, it'll be on the screen. He said, when we are familiar with things, we tend to quit examining them. Often when we are familiar with things, we quit noticing them. When we are familiar with things, we tend to not celebrate them as we once did. And here's the part that just got me. Familiarity tends to rob us of our wonder. And here's what's important about this. What has captured the wonder of our hearts will control the way we live. And so my prayer for our church, for my life over these last couple weeks and into this season has been saying, God, help me by your grace. Help us as a church by your grace recapture the wonder of the miracle that is the Christmas story. The, the reality that the king of glory has come for us. So that's what I want to do today as we kick off this four-week sermon series. I, I, wanna, I wanna reorient our hearts, and that may be new language for some of you. What does that mean? To, to reposition, to recenter our hearts around this promised king. In church history, I mentioned it just a moment ago, it's been known as at the Advent season. You're gonna hear that, you have heard that. What does the word Advent mean? Well, very simply, the word Advent means coming. So when we celebrate the advent of Christ, we are literally celebrating the fact that Christ Jesus came to us. And it's a, a time in church history where we would not get caught up in the trappings, but we would slow down and intentionally focus on why it is that he came. I need this in my life, and I believe we all need this reorienting. I agree with the 18th century hymn this is my daily reality and probably yours too. I am prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I read that, that hymn. I, I, I sing that song and I'm so guilty of that every single day. And so this season, I need some reorientation and I believe our, our church, our culture, our, our world needs this recentering. I'm praying we would not just stumble through a season buying gifts, singing carols, and get to December 25th and take a breath and say, thank God that is over, like I so often do. But I also recognize for, for some of you, you're hearing about all this joy and all these glad tidings, and if you're being honest, this is like the furthest thing from a joyful season for you. You're walking through anything but a jolly time in your life. It is brokenness and, and hopelessness. And, and I would hope that as we look at God's word today, whether you are caught up in the trappings or you could care less about them because you're feeling hopeless, that the word of God would show you the promised king. 
that he came. Many of you know, but he didn't just show up one day. He didn't just show up one day out of nowhere. He was actually foretold for thousands of years. See, a lot of people look at this book called the Bible, and they see it as a, a boring book that has no relevance to our lives. It's hard to understand. And, and what I want to try to show you in a few minutes today is that this is actually an incredibly glorious story of this coming king. The whole thing from cover to cover is about this promised king that has come. There's promises made in the very beginning. We're gonna see that in a minute. And then all throughout it, God continues to promise. And even after Jesus comes, who is a fulfillment of the promise, the people of God, which are now us, the, the followers of Jesus, are living out the realities of that promise. This is a book of promises, and I hope, to, hope you see that today. But if we're honest, we, we kind of have some baggage with the word promise, at least I do. <laughs> promises are not necessarily always good things in our culture. I mean, we've, we've so messed up this idea of promises that we actually have phrases that communicate our pessimism now. We say things like, hey, don't make promises you can't keep. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but I bet every person in this room has broken a promise before. I know I have. I promise I'll never do it again. There I am doing it again. Who even knows? A couple days later, I've seen the look on my children's faces when I, as their father, break a promise to them. We got some baggage with promises. You guys ever made a promise like this? I, I, you call your friend up. I promise, I know I'm running late, but I'll be there in five minutes. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know you are still in your pajamas, you haven't brushed your teeth, and you live 15 minutes away from the person you just said you'd be there in five minutes. I promise! I've already said it, but my kids, you guys have young kids like me, Usually when I'm getting ready to discipline or punish them for something, please, Dad, no. I'll never do it again, I promise. Again, I understand. We live in a culture of broken promises, uh, maybe a little more serious, a little more somber. There's been hundreds of thousands of people who've stood at an altar in front of all their family and friends, promised to love the person across from them till death do us part. And promises like that break every single day. Some of you, some of us have been affected by those types of broken promises. So we have some baggage with promises. But I believe for the sake of what we're going to learn today, even with that baggage, it's important for us to press in to this incredibly important promise. Why? This is why I want to share with you why I think it's important what we're going to unpack. I believe it's important what we're going to unpack is the reality of a promise made thousands of years ago with next to a 0% chance of fulfillment, and yet it was fulfilled, it demands our attention. You see, this promise we're talking about, these promises we're talking about are not like the promises made of man because there was a promise made thousands of years ago, and we're gonna see that today. And it did, it did have next to zero possibility, zero probability of actually coming true. And yet it was in the person of Jesus. So that should give us reason to lean in. Okay, Scott, we're with you. What is the promise we speak of for you? Great church people, you know the promise we're speaking of. And I love how 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says it. Paul the apostle writes, for all of God's promises, that's a huge statement, have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. 
And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. The promise is the good Sunday school answer if you don't know what to say. What's the promise? Jesus. I've never been to Sunday school, but people tell me if you don't know what to say, just say Jesus and you might be right. In this instance, you are right. The promise, thousands of generations, thousands of years promised in this word, the very promise of God is Jesus. And again, I want us to be encouraged. If you're here today and you're saying, give me something new, Scott, don't let familiarity rob you of the wonder today. And I hope you see that throughout our time together. I want to deep dive into this promise as we reorient our hearts around the, the coming king that was, the, the, the king that has come that, that was promised to us. I want to do it in two ways. The first one is I want to spend a good chunk of time looking at God's promise to his people then. God's promise to his people then. I already shared, but this book is, a, is one story telling all about God's promises, saying that he would come and rescue his people by sending a savior or a Messiah. And many of you know, but this book starts out incredibly beautiful. It starts out with God and all his glory creating everything we know, and everything is perfect. He creates the first human beings, Adam and Eve, and he places them in a, a perfectly curated area where he can have fellowship with them called the Garden of Eden. But you see, there's an enemy on the scene. It's a very real enemy that we still battle today. His name is Satan, and he comes like he often does in our lives, and he tries to convince these people that there's more outside of what God has said is good for them. I know God said this is what's good for you, but he's not telling you the whole truth. Let me show you a better way. Isn't it funny? For thousands of years, he's been telling the same lie. Even in my life and your life today, there are things where the enemy is trying to get in to say, I know what God said, but there's more on the other side of what he's shared with you. There's, there's more good apart from God. And in Genesis chapter three, it's the third chapter of the book. We didn't make it very far. Sin and brokenness enter the story. Where humanity had enjoyed the presence of God, now they ran in, in fear and they hid. They were tempted by Satan. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, tempted by Satan to believe his lies and, and sin entered the story. But what I want to show you today is immediately, this is often a an omitted part of the story. As soon as sin entered the story, immediately our God, who is a rescuing good God, comes to his people to say, I, I'm gonna fix what you broke. I'm gonna remedy what you fractured. So I wanna look at several promises that God made to his people, but I first wanna look at a promise made to Satan. You say, I didn't know there was promises made to Satan in the Bible. This is where I want to start. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right after sin entered the story, our amazing, promising king comes to the rescue to say, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This word enmity is another word for hostility. God is promising the enemy. Battle lines have been drawn. You and the, and the people that I made are enemies. And rest assured, eventually through human beings, 
I'm going to send my rescuer, my Messiah, and sure, you will afflict him. You will hurt him because he will hang on a cross for the sin of the world, but you might hurt him, but he is going to crush your head, devil. This is good news, church. No matter how many times we've heard it, people all across the world this month are celebrating temporary things, family, friends, some big man in a red suit, but Christians are, are preparing. We should be preparing and excited to celebrate a birth, a birth that was foretold thousands of years ago in the Garden of Eden when sin entered the story and fractured everything that we know. Our rescuing God came in and said, I promise to make this right. You might hurt him, but he will crush you in your plan. I will fix what is broken. And what I want us to see all morning long, notice this is not a spiritual mountaintop moment for Adam and Eve. In fact, it's the exact opposite. They're not coming out of a, a, a summer camp in the Garden of Eden and God gives them this promise and spiritual bliss. They are in the darkest, most broken scene of their lives and into that brokenness, into that sin, into that failure, God's promise of a savior is given. We're gonna see that all throughout the story. It's not on the spiritual mountaintops. It's in the darkest valleys where God comes to say, I'm gonna fix this. The hard-fought story continues. If you read the book of Genesis, sin reigns on the earth. People are very far from where we were in the Garden of Eden. And as he always does, God is constantly drawing his people back to himself and it ends up leading to a promise made to a man named Abraham. It's a promise made to Abraham. God chooses this man, Abraham, and he gives him this promise in Genesis chapter 12, verses one and three. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. Here's a very important line. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I do some work to understand how this is relevant for us today, but we meet a man here who, who has a family or is going to have a family, and, and God just told him that the promised Messiah, this rescuer, would come through this man's family. This man's family would eventually become a nation. It's the nation of Israel. If you've ever wondered why when you're reading all, or, or singing all these Christmas carols, Israel gets brought up because that is the very nation that God would birth a people, that God would birth a person named Jesus. The promise of a blessing wasn't just for one nation, though. We see here all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Through this man's family, the Messiah would come. God continuing to promise and continuing to say, I'm going to fix this. And again, do yourself a favor and read the first few chapters of Genesis to talk, where it talks about Abraham's family. <laughs> this is not an Instagram picture-perfect family by any means. You talk about brokenness and fractured relationships. This family is dysfunctional to the nth degree. And yet to this man, to this family, God's promise is given. The hard-fought story continues. The rest of the story of the Old Testament can really be summed up in a 
couple sentences. God's people constantly and faithfully ignore his commands, flee from his goodness, are constantly trying to run away from him. I can relate, and you probably can too. And God in his goodness is calling them back and reminding them of who he is, calling them back and reminding him them of his promise, which leads to what I'm calling a promise made to the others. Prophets and psalm writers, there's all these promises that continue to say, I'm gonna fix this. There's gonna be, there's gonna be rescue. There's gonna be a savior. And I wanna share with you, it starts to get oddly specific. God honing in on exactly who his Messiah would be. Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. It reveals how the Messiah would be born. You can go back and read it, but it talks about him coming from a virgin's womb. We just sang it. We don't have a time for a biology class today. That's impossible. A baby born of a virgin's womb. Unless God is up to something, that isn't possible. But yet he is. Isaiah, uh, Micah chapter five, verse two pinpoints the, the place of his birth. You can go and read this, but it talks about this Messiah being born in this random, obscure little town called Bethlehem. Jeremiah 23, five specified his ancestry. Talks about him being a descendant of David. It starts to, to zero in on exactly who this Messiah would be. And then there's a bunch of Psalms that talk about Jesus, the Messiah. Psalm 22, 41, and 35, they, they start to foretell of his betrayal and his accusations by false witnesses and his manner of death. And check this out. He talked about in Psalms being pierced for our transgressions, being, being, being put on a tree. And this is hundreds of years before the capital punishment of crucifixion was even invented. What is this? It's God entering in the mess and saying, I'm gonna fix this. A promise is being made. And I want us to draw attention to the fact that all of these promises are totally out of the control of the one they're being promised about. I mean, think about it. I don't know about you, but I, I could not go back to my great, 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 great grandparents and say, I would really like to be born into your family. Can we make that happen? That's impossible. I, I could not go back to my parents and say, I'd like to be born in this hospital in this town because I kind of like the vibe there. Can I be born into that hospital, please? We chuckle, but we take these things for granted. Unless God's at work here, this is not possible. Then in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, he continues to promise, even to the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi 3.1 says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. If you know your Bible, that's talking about John the Baptist who will prepare the way of the Lord. And the Lord, this is Jesus, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. So all the way up through the Old Testament, God is promising, I am going to fix this. And then here's something a lot of us don't talk about. Maybe you know, maybe you don't. But after the book of Malachi, Historians tell us that there was 400 years of complete silence from heaven. There's no recorded prophet among the people talking on behalf of God. There's no recorded prophecies in the canon of scripture. You see, for us, it's just one page flip. Malachi 
to Matthew, but that page flip represents 400 years of absolute radio silence from heaven. And I just need us to sit in that for a minute. 150 years longer than our country has even been in existence. God didn't say a word. And I can imagine the people in this time. Can you imagine the doubts that they wrestled with? Can you imagine the the ridicule that they received from people that didn't believe in God? Where's your God now? I haven't heard of him in, I don't know, 400 years. All this talk of a promise and a Messiah and somebody to fix all this brokenness, he's not here and you should just give up on the whole thing. How many people today, maybe even right now in your life, you're, you're sitting on four days of God's silence or, or four weeks or four months or four years and you're starting to feel that. Like, God, did you forget about me? Where are you with all your promises? Because I'm not hearing anything, God. I want us to see this, although it's hard, this is where God chooses to let us sit. Not on the spiritual mountaintops, but in the the depths of, of doubt and fear and ridicule. How many, how many people in your lives have looked at you and said, are you serious about this whole God thing? Show me what he's done for you. For these people, they had 400 years of a track record of God's silence. So what's up with that? This is hard. But it's into this that God's promise 400 years later comes. And it's a promise made to Mary and Joseph. You've heard it, and I want to read it. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Now, right there, we hopefully, as we try to reawaken the wonder of our souls, like, this is it. <laughs> Thousands of years of prophecies and promises. It's about to tell us. It's happening. It's happening. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. We don't have time for that, but that's a trip right there. As he considered these things, you better believe this dude was considering these things. He's going, what do I do? The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. Notice, son of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Again, don't miss this. Joseph's a good Jewish boy. He knows all the stories. And he's going, well, this, me? The, the promised Messiah for thousands of years, the one that you told the enemy that you would use him to crush his head, he's coming to me, this, this savior who will save us from our sins to me. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is Isaiah seven fourteen. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the apex of thousands of years of prophecies and promises to say he is coming to fix this. And I want you to see this is a big deal because we just looked at about seven or eight prophecies 
But I need you to know there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament foretelling of Jesus coming. And God, in his grace, Jesus fulfilled almost every single one of them. You say, why almost? Because there are still a few which haven't been fulfilled, but they're all related to his second coming when he comes back to judge the living and the dead. See, one day he will come back, not as an infant, but as a conquering king. And there are still some prophecies that are talking about Jesus coming back in that way. But every prophecy that can be fulfilled in the Messiah, Jesus Christ fulfilled them all. <laughs> Mathematicians have done the math. It is next to impossible. It's a number too big to even put on the screen in 12-point font. It's impossible apart from a miracle. So whether you've heard that once or a thousand times, the, the prayer this weekend was that we would reawaken the wonder. No wonder, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, for all God's promises, not going to be on the screen, there it is, have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. All of God's promises to his people in the nitty, gritty, broken, sin-filled failure, they've all been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Speaking of his name, the name that the angel gave to Mary and Joseph was not a coincidence. His name, Jesus Christ. A lot of people think Jesus is his first name. Christ is his last name. Scott's my first name. Worthington is my last name. That is not what Jesus Christ means. I love how Warren Wearsby put it in his commentary on Matthew. The name Jesus means savior and comes from the Hebrew name Joshua. Jehovah is salvation. There were many Jewish boys with the name Joshua or in Greek, Jesus, but Mary's boy was called Jesus the Christ. The word Christ means anointed. It is the Greek equivalent of Messiah. He is Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus is his human name. Christ is his official title. And Emmanuel describes who he is, God with us. Jesus Christ is God. So even when they would tell their friends, I want you to meet my new son, Jesus Christ, it was a record scratch. This is him. You're telling me this is the one? Talking about some side-eye looks that Mary and Joseph probably got. But they pressed on, trusting God's promise from thousands of years. I'll fix this. It's in the brokenness and the failure and the sin of history that God comes in to say, I will send a rescuer. So that was God's promise to his people then. I want to just close very quickly with God's promise to his people now. What does this have to do with us? Well, ever since the garden, we have been struggling with sin, the same sin all throughout the Old Testament and new, the same sin that all the people that God came so, so passionately with his promises, we struggle with that. And even today, we are longing for wholeness. So this Jesus comes. Many of you know the story, but the baby grows up. He lives a, a perfect life. He's wrongly accused of things he didn't commit, all in the predetermined plan of our sovereign God. They put him on a cross to, to pay the penalty for sin he didn't commit, but every single one of us did. 
theological term for it is substitutionary atonement. That's a big term for Jesus in my place for my sin. He died. But three days later, he rose again to to defeat death hell as a declaration to say, my payment for sin was accepted. So I want us to see as we close today, there is nothing under a tree or at a Christmas party or in a season in and of itself that will give you full, satisfying life like it promises. We shouldn't be looking under a tree, Hope Church, for something to give us fulfillment. We should be looking to a king on a cross and a glorious savior who has conquered the grave. Only in him can we truly be satisfied. I hope you see today God's past faithfulness should give us present hope. No matter what you're walking through, I wanna share Galatians chapter three. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Uh Uh-oh, there's that Bible, there's that Sunday school Bible story from back in the day. What does that mean? You are heirs according to promise. See, Paul was a good Jewish boy too. He knew the, the Abraham promise that was given to him about all the nations being blessed. That was not just about a nation. It was about a people that would all become followers of Jesus. And because you're a follower of Jesus, everything God promised Abraham and everybody else, you are an heir to. Not because you're awesome and worthy of it, but just like all the other people. For the exact opposite reason, you don't deserve it. You could never earn it. So God comes into your brokenness. God comes into my brokenness, my sin. You may be here to say, I'm not good enough for God. And God's telling you today, nobody ever has been. And yet still, I wanna fix what you broke because I'm a promise maker and I'm a promise keeper and I love you that much. So this is why we need to reorient our hearts around this season. No matter what you walk through this week, no matter what your season currently looks like, God says to you, I have made a promise. I love how John Piper put it. Every sinner who comes to God in Christ with all his needs finds God coming to him in Christ with all his promises. We have needs, Hope Church. I have needs, you have needs. We're seeing here in God's word, God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. And you are heirs if you're in Christ according to the promises he's made for thousands of years. So maybe today you understand your need to to reorient your heart to say, I've gotten caught up in the, the cultural lie of this season and God, would you give me grace Would you give me grace to to resist these misplaced longings in my heart that think they can be fulfilled by other things? Would you give me grace, Lord, to to not ignore the Christmas trappings, but just understand they're never gonna give me what I think I need because only you can fulfill the, the longings of my soul like you have been for thousands of years to your people. If you're a follower of Jesus, Whatever need you have, God comes to you with his promises to meet that need in Christ. 
we press into that this season. But if you're here, like every week we have people here who are not followers of Jesus, I wanna be very clear. I hope you've heard how good and pursuing and resilient and strong our God is today. I wanna remind you of the verse we've looked at a couple times in 2 Corinthians, for all God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. You may have stumbled in church today wondering, does God care about me in Christ? We just heard yes. God's yes in Christ is available to any person who would want it today. So maybe you're here and you're thinking, can I surrender to Jesus? Yes. Do you love me in all my brokenness in Christ? God says, yes. Will you forgive me? Yes. Will you change me? Because I need a whole lot of fixing, Lord. There's nobody too far for his grace. There's nobody too far. There's nobody too dark. There's nobody too deep where God and his grace can't say, I can fix anybody. I'll, fi I'll fix you. I'll change you. Some of us have felt like we've walked too far away from God. God, will, will you keep me by your grace? Today, I hope you hear, yes. This is our God who is a promise maker and a promise keeper. And this is who we worship during this season. So God, would you give us grace today as we respond here in just a moment? Lord, would you give us grace to respond to you however it is we need to? For the follower of Jesus here today, Lord, maybe they just needed a Holy Spirit reminder of the goodness of God and your promises. The King has come just as you said you would reorient our hearts around that all season long. But God, I pray for the person that doesn't know you right now. Right now, I believe you're drawing some people to yourself. Would they echo your response and just say yes to your invitation? We love you, Lord. Whatever it is you want to do in this time, 